You're listening to the How and Steve English podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not so great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve and I'm here with Hal. Howdy. Today we're going to talk about the hardest parts of teaching ESL abroad, so stay tuned. Before we get going, let me remind you about our website, howandsteveenglish.com. As you know, we make some pretty great ESL materials, so if you head over there, you'll be able to find a ton of conversation lessons, a ton of games, a ton of card games, a ton of flashcards. If you head over to our blog, you'll be able to find a ton of new uh, free material that Hal's working on. Hal, can you tell us a bit about what you're working on now? Uh, yeah, I'm just finishing up a a new uh, conver- uh, intermediate level conversation book uh, with travel oriented topics. Uh, I'm working on a pattern grammar conversation series, and then I want to. Uh, I'm putting together a few more uh, ESL activity board games as well. Cool, cool, and they're all available on our blog section, right? Correct. Cool. So guys, go ahead and check that out. And as always, we have our monthly membership. It's $9.99. If you join that, uh, you'll get access to our full library. And you're supporting us, so we'll be able to make a ton more resources for you in the future. All right, apologies, guys, if I have a cold. I might accidentally cough into the mic and or make weird noises. I'll try and cover up my microphone if that happens. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the hardest part of teaching ESL abroad. Before we dive into that in particular topic, I guess it's a good time to remind you that we've kind of talked about different difficult parts of being abroad, running academies abroad, teaching ESL to foreign students, kind of a ton, haven't we? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. And in this particular podcast, what I was hoping to do was describe what I think we found or what I found to be the most difficult part of the actual teaching and working inside of an academy or public school. Now, my experience comes from South Korea. And so my experience and my anecdotes and my opinion will be very specific to that. But we have a lot of great teachers at HowlandSteveEnglish.com and they've shared our experiences, uh, their experiences with us. So we also have some some good bit to talk about there. But um, how are you ready to dive into this? Yeah, yeah, you lead the way. Great. So as far as teaching, actually being in the classroom and being in an academy or a public school, uh, the most difficult thing I think a teacher could experience is the actual concept of teaching in South Korea. At its most basic form, it's so wildly different than anything we'd probably experience in in the West or in America. And to really sum it up well, because there's a lot of different cultural differences happening here, and there's a lot of different reasons for why the actual education and method of teaching here is so different. But to sum it up really well, you'll often hear, it's for show, it's not for substance. So... That means a lot of things that we do here are superficial. The children memorize 1,000 vocabulary words every two months. And they quickly, as quickly as they memorize them, they forget them. But everybody around here claps their hands and 
I was really happy and thrilled that the kids memorized that. Even though obviously they don't retain it because it's for show. Um, the same thing with these speech contests that you've often heard how and I talk about. The kids memorize speeches that they haven't written, that they don't understand, and that they just recite from memory and they put on video because it looks as though they're speaking English. Even though everybody involved knows the child just memorized something they don't understand, but it's for show and again, that, that makes everybody happy. And so when you're a foreign teacher that comes from a Western background, and, you know, in the West, there's a lot of different, you know, philosophies when it comes to education. You might have a unique background yourself when it comes to education, but critical thinking and substance and striving to be the best version of you and not cutting corners is kind of just these things that are drilled into your brain from the very get-go. And if you teach abroad, specifically if you teach abroad in East Asia, you're going to be just kind of struggling with those issues, with these really... Uh, these really opposed concepts of what education is and you're gonna really struggle in your first week or months or even years as a teacher as you kind of assimilate into the type of education culture that's already here and so in my opinion I would say that's definitely the most difficult part of teaching abroad or teaching in an academy or teaching in a school as far as teaching goes the fact that it's so different and seems to be uh, I guess not effective and maybe not even ethical. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if you make a distinction, but you could say it's for show, and you could also say it's for these this test-based system that lacks the critical thinking question or skills. So the tests are basically for show as well. I don't know if you want to make a distinction there, but I mean, they're just the the gateways, right? But there's no function. There's, there's no functionality as far as communication or speaking the language. That's a great point too. The the test results are for show because they don't actually evaluate these students' abilities. So again, I like to I like to draw comparisons between my own upbringing and the upbringing of my peers with what I'm doing now with students currently. And when I was a kid. Uh, we always had standardized tests, but I don't remember my teacher preparing us for the standardized tests, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. uh, same here. And prepare might not be the right word in this situation, but to paint you a picture in a South Korean academy, the teachers have a question pool of several hundred to seven, several thousand questions from pre-existing exams that might appear on the next exam and all the kids do is memorize those they don't really dissect the questions or what's happening in the questions or the type of grammar or why the answer is this way the children just memorize the answers and on top of that um they do, they do that at the academies so that the kids can get good scores in the public system but even the public school teachers, to a certain extent, teach in that same way. So in America, maybe we would view a class in the system, say, oh, that's a lecture-based class instead of a, you know, a student-centered classroom. But it's, it's more, it's, it's even more different than that. It's, there's not even like a functional lecture happening. The children are kind of in a very backwards way memorizing just tests and test answers. It's, it's very weird. 
And so what you end up have, having is obviously these people are obsessed with test results. The students and the parents and the teachers are obsessed with test results. So instead of teaching and improving the English skills, all they do is memorize test questions and test answers. Um, and then also they memorize whole swaths of the school textbook so that they can identify the right sentences or if there's a paragraph in one of the tests, they can identify what the missing word is, not because it makes sense grammatically, but because they can put the right answer in there. And it's just pretty, pretty bad to be, you know, a Western teacher thrown into that environment. And then you think, well, why, what is the point of all this? Like these kids are just getting stressed out. They're pulling their hair out. They're studying till 10, 11, 12 p.m. at night. And they're losing their minds. The pair, everyone's stressed out and competing with each other. And then there are these academy teachers who are kind of just being these, in, in my mind, like these evil mustache twirling villains collecting money and not actually fulfilling on their promise to educate the kids. Um, and you also have public school teachers kind of also doing similar things you know being a public school teacher in korea is actually like a really difficult thing to become but at the same time or because of that you know it's a really prized position and it's really valuable and it's got a, a high social standing but i feel as though like it's really terrible like it's betraying the children a little bit and as when you're new it's it's kind of just really tough as a teacher to be in that environment yeah i mean yeah and this is all documented on youtube you can find youtube series of of harvard students taking these tests and being really like what what is this confusing trick question english questions on grammar and vocabulary obscure vocabulary yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's really weird because that's the only way that they can functionally pass a lot of these school tests. Like, unless they're in a good English program from second grade of elementary school, so from nine years old uh, Korean age, eight years old Western age, until that middle school test time. So until they get to um, the middle school second grade which is like 15 years old so it, unless they study English in the right environment for seven years which they don't because most academies don't teach uh, communicative English they teach just like we discussed memori that kind of backwards test memorization style um, the kids can't get ahead and the tests themselves are tr I don't know why they're trick questions <laughs> like they really are trick questions you know, I'm a fluent English speaker. You know, both Hal and I are fluent English speakers. We're professional English teachers. We're professionally published. And yet, um, you know, even we struggle with the test questions because it's really up to the teacher's discretion, especially comprehension questions. Oh, what's, the, what's the theme of this essay? Or, you know, what's the right answer here? You can use past simple or present perfect simple and both actually have rules for recently completed actions in the past and both technically can be used in that situation but it's up to the teacher's discretion and so it's impossible to pass unless you memorize questions well yeah and um i think my biggest issue is a little different but 
I'll let, we can keep going on this or let me know when you're ready to switch over. Well, I think I've ranted a bit. I think maybe I'll just share a few anecdotes with folks um, about this issue and maybe some problems that you encounter and some solutions. So, okay. For me, the way this problem really manifests itself is when you're an academy teacher or public school teacher and you have mixed class students or mixed level students. So students with wildly mm. different levels. And it'd be easy to explain it away by saying, oh, some of the students work hard, some of them don't. But in an academy setting, it's because the way that we know how to teach English and the goals that this particular academy have has aren't the same. And it's very rarely that an academy, in East Asia at least, teaches with CEFR scales in mind. It's so rare that they have student-centered classrooms. Usually, they have no scale um, that would be acceptable in Europe or, or America, and they just piecemeal some type of curriculum based on American storybooks, American English books, uh, foreign textbooks, or just something that somebody's made up with no real tier system to it. And the, the kids have no idea how to succeed in the actual language. All they know how to do is answer questions on that particular unit test as their teacher prescribed to them. And it can be a really frustrating experience trying to teach kids that don't even know how to form I am, you are, he is, basic B-verb sentences. And in my experience, I would try to address that issue immediately with the staff, but you kind of get swatted down. And you just constantly find yourself trying to make the system right, so to speak. Oh, the parents and these kids want to learn English. They're going to end up just not knowing any English and just cramming until they're in high school and being stressed out. But as an English teacher abroad, nobody's really going to listen to you. <laughs> and nobody's really going to care. And you're just going to end up in a lot of conflict with your boss and the staff and even the parents because, you know, that was a large motivation behind why Hal and I ventured away from being employees and started making our own curriculum and started owning our own academies and we were motivated by the fact that wow what are these other people doing they're just basically stealing money and it's not ethical right now that we're academy owners <laughs> it's really difficult because the moms who are the customers don't understand English education that well and as much as we try to educate them about it they still point to other academies that memorize a thousand vocabulary words every two months, even though the kids don't remember them, you know, after three months. And they point to that and they complain about how we're not as good as that academy and they'll, you know, occasionally leave us for those types of academies. And it's, it would be much easier to just own and operate a traditional Korean style academy with once a week foreign teacher classes. And that's something that I've come to learn is that you've just got to if you want to be an English teacher in East Asia, obviously, specifically Korea, you've just got to let it go. You've got to work within your parameters and you've got to really um, just work with what you've got. You've got mixed level kids. You've got bad curriculum. You've got a boss who doesn't know how to teach. You've got coworkers who don't know how to teach. You've got moms who are really misinformed. You've got to do the best with what you've got. And in the f few minutes that you see them, try to provide good CEFR based goals and also provide 
what moms expect and what your boss expects as far as degree and education goes. That would be my prescribed solution to what this big problem is, which is the education is for show, not for actual results. So to reiterate, show them what they want to see, but almost secretly give the kids some actual substantial type of education that you would like them to have. Yeah, I would agree. I would say my solution is, um, and for some reason, I yeah, I feel like everybody makes this mistake. You just get kind of stuck thinking a certain way or wanting to teach a certain way or do a strategy a certain way. But most of the time, I think similar to what Steve said, you have to find this middle ground. So you can't completely follow a CEFR communicative system um, you've got to you've got to <laughs> work in that 50% teaching and then 50% has to be um, just having fun with the kids and playing politics doing the for show stuff and I, and I tend to find teachers do one or the other there'll be teachers that are just like yeah if that's the position that they're going to put me in, I'm just going to have fun with the kids. I'm just going to play with them. You know, whatever. I just, you know, deal with what has been given to me. And then there's the other teachers that are serious about teaching, and so they're not going to compromise. And not, it's unethical, so I'm going to do it how it needs to be done. Both teachers end up failing because you can't, you can't be bullheaded and work in a system you know against the system so you're gonna you gotta have to find a middle ground there yeah that's a really great point um off the top of your head can you remember any of your recent classes that you really balanced well like that um you mean like i kind of give an example right yeah from my experience yeah um I guess I would just generally say I uh, I try to create that learning environment in the classroom so the no speaking Korean and um, I have the kids learn English for the first depending on how long the class time so if you've got a 50 minute class time I just teach them a strict system within the first 20 to 30 minutes and then the last 10 to 20 minutes depending i'll i'll do activities games like talk to the kids make sure the kids have fun try to inspire them teach a little culture um but you've always got to at least squeeze in five to ten minutes there at the end uh if you if you're not doing a large amount you've got to squeeze that in Otherwise, the kids will run out and their parent, the parents will be like, what'd you learn today? Or the hagwon owner will <laughs> will uh, ambush them and be like, what'd you learn in the teacher's class today? And if they can't say what they learned, then you'll get attacked. Yeah, it's really, it's really a good point. I was listening or I was reading one of our, one of our friends, one of our academy owners posted on one of the academy owner groups recently basically that exact situation which is mostly what they expect a native teacher to teach their kids is speaking right 
but right. they can't really evaluate speaking progress that well. They don't have really have an idea of it because they never experienced a speaking class. What they have experienced is those basically not not really grammar, not really writing class, which is often the words that we use to describe Korean English education. But that's not really the proper words for it. It's basically the multiple choice questions or fill in the blank question worksheets that the people have seen from their youth, what the parents had seen when they were in school. And if they don't see that, then they assume nothing's being done in the classroom. Again, because even at school, they don't have any experience with student-centered classrooms or really any proper language classes, right? It's all based on memorizing stuff. Um, it's really, it, it's still very old-style schools and education uh, philosophy. And so the moms harass the kids for, oh, what'd you do today? What'd you learn today? And the kid says, I don't know. The kid's not going to say, oh, I learned present simple rules for habits. Oh, I learned the third person singular S rule for present simple. Oh, I learned um, third person have is actually has in the present. They're not going to say that to the mom. They're not going to, like, even if you, so in my class, we use TPR all the time. And they're not going to show their mom their TPR they learn because it's not the classroom environment. It's awkward and it's weird. But this is the biggest point, and this is what this fella explained, and he was really smart. And if you let me use his name, I'd cite him. I'd tell everybody to go listen to this man talk, he said. The kids learn their behavior from their parents. In Korea especially, but in East Asia in general, everybody is deathly afraid to make a mistake in public because they lose face. It's a face-based culture. It's a shame-based culture. So even something as silly as speaking English incorrectly they'll get blasted by their peers or looked down on by their peers for being uneducated. So the parents refuse to even try to speak English, even though they could try, because they're afraid of putting the subject before the, I don't know, in the wrong place. They're afraid of putting the verb at the beginning of the sentence. They're afraid of making small baby mistakes. Their children's obviously pick, their children pick up on that behavior, right? And so their children refuse to speak English in front of other Korean people. Usually the children will only speak in class. And then obviously children are shy. But I really thought that was insightful. The idea that obviously every Korean adult is so deathly afraid of speaking English, even though every Korean adult had English education because they're afraid of being judged. Obviously their children pick up on that too. And yet the parents are still angry if they don't see a, if they don't have their kid, you know, speak in front of them. So they don't make the connection between the attitude that they should teach their children and the behavior that they actually want their children to have. No, yeah, and that's all statistically backed up. So that yeah, that's a great insight into the statistics because I'm pretty sure if you if you take into account um, how much money Korea spends on English education, which is probably the highest in the world you know for their pop the size of the country and um their success they're they're at the bottom of the list right yeah they're they vacillate between 32 and 39 i think so yeah those insights speak to that discrepancy yeah and the solution's pretty obvious it's put uh put them in a normal cefr environment and just let it run its course. Don't suddenly in middle school give them C2 level English tests or C1 or B2 level English tests when we know these these kids aren't going to be able to 
unpack it and it's just kind of this vicious cycle but everybody's profiting in it whether it's the public school teachers you know improving their social standing or the private teachers increasing their income but right one way that I've solved the issue is my classroom is very communicative it's student-centered but I was losing kids because moms were complaining about a lack of progress there was no lack of progress any western-based exam that I would give the kids any western-based you know similar to the Cambridge exams I would give the kids at intervals and they would do really well and I was so proud and I was so happy with them but I'd still lose kids because the moms obviously couldn't see worksheet after worksheet filled out. They didn't see their kids doing 30 minutes to an hour of homework every day. And so I just gave in finally. And not only has it improved our relationship with the parents, um, it's improved our relationship with the kids too because at by the time they're seven or eight, they get praised and they get rewarded for uh, achieving good results in the Korean education system. So in any subject, when they memorize and just regurgitate stuff onto a paper, they feel really good about it. And they get rewarded for it by their parents and by everybody around them. And so I found that the parents and kids love it. So in my class, um, I have a new rule. When the teacher writes, you write. Mm. So whenever I write on the whiteboard, I used to just do it, just write on the whiteboard and I'd practice their reading comprehension or sight word recognition but now i have them write whenever i write so anything that i write on the board they write in their notebooks um and they get rewarded for it with our our incentivization our little ice cream points yeah that's great and then for homework um they have to memorize 10 words every class so with the young it's really actually pretty easy because english is all around especially in korea but a lot of the words they already picked up elsewhere. They just need to learn how to spell them, which is pretty easy. And then for our listeners out there, soon Hal and I are going to release our own children's curriculum. And right now we're working on the homework portion, and soon we'll work on the classroom portion. And we've been using them in our own academies recently, and they're monsters. They're, they'll put any other Korean-style homework program to shame because... It's an online program, and it's a writing program. And it really, really is what moms would expect and what kids would expect in order to learn English. So it's a lot of that for show. It's overkill for sure. There's no reason that a person who's in the first two years of studying English should ever use, you know, fill out that many worksheets, especially if they're between eight and nine years old. But that's been the solutions for me and as an academy owner i really recommend that you do that and then if you're just a teacher you should definitely definitely do that incorporate vocabulary tests because korean students are much better at vocabulary and using vocabulary while speaking like one word at a time instead of sentences especially if you only see them once a week and especially if you didn't grow these students yourself if you've just received random fourth and fifth graders that are mediocre in english encourage them by letting them do good on something they're familiar with which is vocabulary tests having them write during class keeps them from being distracted and also reinforces what they're learning on the board in a way that they've already you know they've already been trained to do from other classroom environments 
and then worksheets, worksheets, worksheets for homework. As long as it's tethered to your actual curriculum, what you're actually teaching, it should really work out well. Yeah, that's great advice. So, should we keep going or should we try and uh, wind it down? Yeah, let's uh, let's wind it there. The uh, ladies and the other out there. Oh yeah. Our dear co-host Halva Scotia is waiting on on the wifey, or the wifey's waiting on him, so he's got to run. I've got a game with Star Wars Battlefront Two loading up in the background, and for anybody oh, who plays, yeah, for anybody who plays in South Korea on the Xbox, send me your Xbox gamer tag because I can never find a lobby. It takes like thirty minutes to find a game. <laughs> And I usually just shut it off because I can't. But yeah, I'll just remind you guys, uh, what we talked about today was the most difficult part of actually teaching inside of an academy or public school as an ESL teacher abroad. And what I believed was the actual process of teaching was the most difficult because in Asia or in Korea, almost all of it's for show and not much of it's actually for substance. And when you're in that environment, you feel bad. And so you've really got to learn how to give the children some substance and also give the parents and the, your boss and your coworkers something for show. So that, that's what I, um, and I think that was how, what Hal said, you have to mix up your, you have to mix up what you deliver to folks so you can keep your, your sanity. I think I claim credit for your, uh, your idea just there. My apologies. <laughs> I think our idea. Yeah. Yeah. Our idea. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd end it in the same way. There, just um, don't get don't get caught in that trap. That's the trap I always got caught in. Just doing things a certain way. You've got to find a, a balance between the two. So keep exploring and find find your balance, and it'll be your life will be so much better. Great advice. Alright guys, remember, uh, check out our website, houndsofenglish.com, for some awesome goodies. And uh, it'd be awesome if you subscribe to our podcast. We, uh, we're really happy with the, the amount of uh, subscribers and amount of listens we're getting lately. It'd be great to have uh, more of you subscribe. And remember, if you got a Xbox, you got Battlefront 2, you know, send me over that uh, gamer tag. Go kill some, uh, some robots together. Alright guys, catch nice. you next time. See ya.